0: Are we on, Jacks? Yes? Hi. Hi, I'm Andy. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great to be speaking this morning. Um, Steve uh, Jones, our pastor, is away uh, this weekend, running another church weekend, actually, for another church. So he's two church weekends, two weeks in a row. So he's going to be well-blessed, isn't he? So, uh, I think it's with Heddington Baptist, actually, so I'm not quite sure where they've gone, but that's a blessing. I have one other thing just to say before I get into this morning's uh, subject, which is to say um as of the 11th of march uh, which is a couple of weeks ago we're going to have the lees community church with us for a season um on a sunday um some of you know this because steve mentioned it last week at the getaway we planted the lees community church some years ago i can't quite remember how long i mean good 16 years ago thank you um on Blackwood lees to reach a the people who live there and, and um to try and see god's kingdom extended there and they in in this they've been through a lot of changes over the years and they've had a lot of good fruitful ministry that they feel they're in a season of needing to just refresh and rejuvenate and reconnect with us relationally we are the church that planted them and there's been a relationship there many of you now in the church now probably have no idea of who they are or any sense of connection so for the next um couple of months at least we're we have the privilege of welcoming welcoming them to be with us on a sunday and uh, I'm looking forward to that sense of reconnection um, and reinvigoration of relationships. So that when they are kind of replanted in due course, which is the terminology they're using, they feel they need to be replanted, there will be a much stronger sense of relationship between us that will sustain that, that ministry in that part of our city. So that's just to say that's coming up. There's various practical implications that we're trying to work through, um, but uh, that's coming and we're looking forward to it. So I kind of encourage you to pray towards that 11th of March. And when they come on the 11th of March, let's be friendly. And talk to them. and you know, um, It's great to have um, Chandra and some of his church with us this morning. Um, the Lees is not a huge church. It's probably, probably talking 15, 20 people. So let's just connect with them as well when they come and seek to build relationships as God leaders. This morning, we're starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Ta-da! Prayer-fueled living, we're calling it, for reasons that will hopefully become apparent this morning. Um, the Sermon on the Mount covers three chapters in Matthew... And as we'll, we'll come to see this morning, the, the writer, Matthew, has put them together very carefully for his audience, and so it's a little bit, and, and the, the themes come back round and again and again, and as we'll see, so it's a little bit hard just to take one chunk and sort of work through it, because what, actually what Matthew says comes around a few times through the sec, through this, this section here. So we're going to, over the next five Sundays, we're going to look at several different areas of what Matthew teaches, what Jesus teaches, what Matthew reports of Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at purity, and sharp intake of breath there, purity. Priorities, um, peacemaking, you know, relational, rela- there's a lot in the sermon about relational things. And this morning we're looking at prayer, and as well as looking at how the, the, um, the thing as a whole starts off. Um, why are we studying this now? But, and that, there's a number of reasons, there's a number of answers to that question. We, we periodically look at different parts of the Bible. You know, it's good not just to look at your favorite bits, which you've underlined and highlighted a few times, and just keep going back. There's something, there's a richness in the whole teaching of Scripture that's important for us to look at. So it's important for us to just not look at our favorites. Um, so, you know, it, we're coming round to the Sermon on the Mount. We talk about our church vision being growing communities that bring heaven to earth. Growing communities that bring heaven to earth. And as we're gonna see this morning, the phrase on heaven as it is in earth is right at the focal point of the what did I say? Thank you. On what did I see? No, whatever. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. It's right at the focal point of the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's something we will learn as we study the Sermon on the Mount over the next few weeks. We will learn something about what it means to be growing communities that bring heaven to earth. It's something God will show us. And in that, we're going to see something about the priority of prayer. We've been talking a fair bit about prayer, as you know, because we, we think it's something God's after in us as a church. And we're you know, carrying on talking about prayer. And as we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we, we will see that there's a priority of prayer. The Lord's Prayer is right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And they should give us a clue that the, Lord, the Sermon on the Mount is not supposed to be somehow done with the arm of flesh or try very hard but it's supposed to be something that pushes us to prayer so we're going to look at the sermon on the mount and look at the place of the lord's prayer in that hence this title prayer fueled living for the series as a whole now where's my clicker thing right so um, we know there's four gospels uh, in in the new testament four accounts of the good news and these four gospels reflect four different audiences that the writers were writing to. It's the same story, but they just put different bits together to, 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 to speak to with an evangelistic purpose for different groups of people. Matthew, who we'll be looking at today, he, was, he wrote for the Jew. The Jews were familiar with the Old Testament. So Matthew records how the promises made to God in the Old Testament with regard to the Messiah are fulfilled, fulfilled in Jesus. He starts with Jesus' genealogy, which we probably find a bit boring, but he's making a point to Jews who want that that Jesus is the rightful heir to the kingdom that's been promised. So we'll come back to that obviously. But so Matthew is writing about the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Mark is a gospel of action. Mark Mark's just kind of just seems to be always on to the next thing. I love Mark because I'm an activist, but you know, it's sort of Mark just keeps be keeps moving on and, and Mark's gospel is a gospel of action. Luke is a medical doctor. He's probably writing to a high ranking Roman official called Theophilus. It, it says this right at the beginning of Luke's gospel. And he's, Luke says, I'm setting out an orderly account. Well, you'd expect a doctor to do that, wouldn't you? Be orderly and methodical. I hope they are, anyway, rather than random. But, um, so, so Luke is setting out an orderly account um, of, for, for his, his reading. And John is writing a version of the Christian message that would appeal to Greek thinkers with an evangelistic purpose for that specific group. So the Gospels have different purposes, but together they give us a really rich view of what... The gospel is about what Jesus set about. And in Matthew, as we'll come to see this morning, Matthew starts off with the birth. So the birth narratives, the genealogy of Jesus. He comes off what I've called the debut there. The, the John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism, the time in the desert, that sort of thing. Then it's his whole long segment about Jesus' ministry in Galilee. They go to some other places. They come back to Galilee. They're off to Judea. They end up in Jerusalem for what's sometimes called the passion narrative. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the days and weeks leading up to jesus crucifixion um and then there's the resurrection story and this the segment we're looking at in in matthew five to seven is right here the sermon on the mount is right at the beginning of jesus first major chunk of ministry and in it jesus is setting out a manifesto for the kingdom we understand perhaps political manifestos don't we It's a political party, probably our use of the word these days is is political. A political party setting out their objectives, their aspirations, their uh, priorities on key issues. Um, Imagine that one of our political parties set out a manifesto that was just not at all what we expected. I was wondering which party to pick on here, but whichever one I pick, I'll probably get into trouble. But, um, you know, imagine... I don't know, Labour suddenly published a manifesto when they said they were really interesting in greater capitalism. We'd think we'd read the wrong thing, wouldn't we? We'd think, what's going on here? Or, or UKIP suddenly published something about that they're really positive about immigrants. We'd just be quite surprised and think something had gone wrong. That is the reaction that the Jews had to Jesus' manifesto. Jesus, the Jews were expecting a conquering military messiah who would kick those Roman guys out and... Establish the Jewish kingdom properly. And actually, Jesus teaches something altogether different in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about the heart, it's about God, it's about peacemaking, it's about it's, it's quite profound. You just you, you can't understand the shock this manifesto would have been to them. And Jesus, remember, sorry, Matthew, remember, is writing for those Jews. This gospel is, is tailored specifically for that Jewish audience, and they will be utterly shocked by this manifesto. So as we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we can read it as some nice religious words perhaps to our ears, but we've got to hear it as a profoundly shocking manifesto to the original reader. Uh, When we approach the Sermon on the Mount then, there's various views people take about the sermon. And what I want to say is they're all part of the story, but there's something bigger. So some people... Mr. Gandhi included, um, saw the sermon as a great teaching on ethical principles. Live this way and life will work for you. Now that is true, but it's not the whole story because we can't live this way unless God helps us. Some people see the Sermon on the Mount as some kind of new 10 commandments. You must live this way if you want God to be happy with you. And there's there's truth in there. Jesus raises the bar even higher than the Turn Ten Commandments in place. It's quite shocking, but that's part of the it's the only part of the story. Some people see it as simply aspirational. This is one of those aspirational pictures off the internet that says ignite their imagination. Doesn't tell you anything, does it? It's just like aspirational sort of poster or something. But some people see the Sermon on the Mount in this in that form. You can't possibly live this way, so we just need to read it as aspirational. It's kind of hopeful or wishful thinking or something. And some people see it as for the age to come. The Sermon on the Mount is not supposed to be lived in this age. Um, It will only come into its fullness in the age to come. These people are called dispensationalists. And there's some truth in all of these pictures, but they're not the the whole thing. And I I, want to put out there just that I, I think we should see the Sermon as a manifesto of God's kingdom. That at the same time shows us four things. It shows us Firstly, what God is like. There's something about the heart of God and the priorities of God and the values of God that we we understand through the Sermon on the Mount. Secondly, it therefore excites us to worship this God. The Sermon on the Mount is supposed to excite us to worship this God and the way he wants to live. It should inspire us, thirdly, to live rightly as God's people. But fourthly, it should sober us to live prayerfully in relationship with God because we can't live the way that Jesus teaches in the sermon, without the help of the Holy Spirit through prayer. One uh, commentator puts it like this. He says, In the Sermon on the Mount, we are dealing with the need for a whole new life, a new life, rather than a legalistic system of morality. Failure to see this has led to nearly all the great misunderstandings of the sermon. The need for a whole new life. That echoes, I was thinking this morning, echoes... The prophet Ezekiel talks about God putting a new heart of flesh in us. You know, it echoes that. There's something profound. We need a heart transplant as God's people. We need the Holy Spirit indwelling. We need to live prayerfully in dependence with God if we have any hope of living in the way that the Sermon on the Mount puts forward. We need a whole new life. And so I, I come at the Sermon on the Mount and I think it excites me. It shows me what God is like, but it leaves me sober. And realising I I know my need of God afresh. Um, Let me permit me a short digression on how Matthew writes. Matthew, remember, is writing as a Hebrew uh, for Hebrews, and so it should be no surprise that Matthew uses Hebrew sort of writing techniques that perhaps are slightly opaque to us. So we have we have ways we write certain things, don't we? Like poetry, so we have certain forms of poetry. Limericks, I was thinking, for example. Limericks have a very... Pres- there once was a man called Al. <laughs> uh, from Oxford. Uh, yeah. But they have a certain... They have a certain um, just the way they go, don't they? We know, we understand how a limerick is structured. They have a certain formula, a certain way of working. Hebrews had this thing called parallelism, where they said something and they said it again. And so we read sometimes this stuff and we go why are they saying the same thing again well it's just how they wrote so here's an example from i think psalm 24 the earth is the lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it it's kind of saying the same thing twice and that's a very simple example there's 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 longer examples so that's parallelism poetry letters we have ways we write letters don't we dear sir yours faithfully all that kind of stuff we have we're probably taught at school are we taught that at school anymore i don't know no how to write a a formal letter Officials, I think email culture has kind of eroded that, has isn 't it with the sort of but there 's a way of writing formal letters. if we think about many of the New Testament letters, they all look they 're all the same at the beginning frankly if you read them um, from Paul to the church in Oxford, grace and peace, bloody blah, blah blah blah. I thank God for you that 's how Paul always starts his and that was just how they wrote letters in those days it wasn 't paul wasn 't unique to Paul that was just how letters were written, so they, these guys are using um, sort of literary writing techniques that are common they engage their reader um we have raised ways we write stories so in our house we're we have we, we watched quite a lot of murder mysteries so death in paradise anyone Woo! poirot what else do we watch endeavor yeah 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 now frankly they're all the same aren't they really <laughs> really. They have a slight veneer of being different, but they're all the same. They, they all look a bit like this. They, um, they, they have various threads of the story that seem rather confusing and overlapping, and then they come together, and kapow, you realize who, the, um, who, who done it. They're all the same, really, just about. Um, so that we have these techniques, and we understand when we're reading, when we're watching a murder mystery or reading a book, we understand that there's a certain structure, and we understand that it jumps from one plot to another because it's trying to keep us guessing. We understand that's how the story is structured. Now, Matthew, that's Matthew. Matthew, when he's writing for the Jews, he pulls out all the stops. You know, he, he goes proper kind of Jewish writing culture. And he uses this thing. I'm going to give you an example from Amos because it's really easy to see. And then we'll come back to Matthew. He, in Amos, there's this little, little section, verse, chapter 5, verse 4 to 6, that goes, Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. These are other places. Do not, seek, do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Be- Beersheba. For Gilgal comes back to Gilgal again. And Bethel, seek the Lord and live. There's this pattern that kind of goes up and down. Um, and sort of goes up and down. They call it chias. But it's, a, it's a structure in ancient writing that Matthew uses big time. It's, it's like, if you imagine a murder mystery that comes to this point and Poirot's done the great reveal and we know who's done it. And then he does another one. We go. That's not what's supposed to happen, and then he does another one. It's like it's like he's making a point um, by overdoing it somewhat. And what we see is that Matthew does this thing where he he between chapters four and seven. This is I mean, so if you want to get into all this properly, go. I can give you some references to go read. Um, between chapter four and nine, there's one of these sort of these structures, and then in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five to seven, there's another one. And it kind of piles up on it. And then the Lord's Prayer is yet another one. And right at the heart of that is on earth as it is in heaven. And Matthew's making a point using a literary technique of the time that is saying prayer is right at the heart of ethical living. We can't live as God wants without prayer. And the reason I went on that little digression is you you don't necessarily see that reading the the thing as an English 21st century reader. But when you just dig in a little bit, you go... Wow. A prayer is right at the heart. Matthew's point is this. At the center of living a blessed life is prayer. And prayer is about seeing on earth as it is in heaven. And if you take nothing else away from this sermon, I'd love you to take that away. That prayer is at the heart of living as God wants us to do. That God wants us to live. That's why we called the series Prayer Fueled Living. We 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 too often as Christians try and live in a way that pleases God, but prayer is right at the heart. And Matthew is making that point. In this radical, controversial manifesto, he's saying, God wants you to live this way. It's not what you expected. And you know what? Prayer is right at the heart of it. It puts puts us dependent on God. So with that rather extended introduction on Matthew, let me just say this brings us to our theme for today, which is blessed are those who pray. That's our topic. We're going to look at prayer through the uh, Sermon on the Mount. There's quite a bit about prayer. And we're going to look at some of that. And we're going to pray together before we finish. um, Because we can't really just talk about prayer, can we? Doesn't seem quite right just to talk about prayer. Um, Okay. So we're going to read these bits of the Scripture so Matthew 6, 1, we're not going to read the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll be pleased to hear. We would be here too long. Um, so Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying, praying, standing on the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm just going to read on a little bit. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces is to show men they are fasting i tell you the truth they have received their reward in full I went on a little bit into fasting which al's going to speak about in a couple of weeks because there's a pan here around the lord's prayer we see basically jesus saying don't show off <laughs> whether you're giving or praying or fasting don't show off be authentic do do it to god uh, and there was an echo there this morning i think what al brought prophetically you know, as we're worshipping, let's not just go through the motions. Let's be a people that please God in our praying. So That's the bit from uh, 6. If we go on to chapter 7, there's a little bit more about prayer. This, Because of the structure of Matthew, he comes back to prayer a couple of times through, um, through the sermon. Um, chapter 7, 7 to 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Great. I want, to make, I want to focus, first of all, on the Lord's Prayer. I think, probably, because of time, we might not get to the, all of it. Um, blame it on Simon. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer, and then I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, and if that's all we do, that's good. We might, I trust we'll get to some of these other bits about prayer too. Okay, so, the, just to say a few things about the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer, here we are, Lord's Prayer. I've structured it in a certain way to, to emphasize something, which we'll come back to in a moment. We just read this. Let, let me draw out four things about the Lord's Prayer. and I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm unashamedly nicking some ideas from this guy's book. This guy, Daryl Johnson, um, we, some of you with old memories will remember we, did, we look, look, looked at this as a church some years ago. Um, there are actually a pile on the back on the welcome desk. If you want to go deeper into the Lord's Prayer... I'd encourage you to get this book. It's, it's very short, as you can see, um, and it's a great resource to prayer. Um, there's plenty available on the back there. You can borrow them, take them, whatever. They're they're there. Please uh, do that. Um, and inspired by, by Daryl Johnson, I want to pick out um, some some points from the Lord's Prayer just to, to focus us in on what we on, on on how the prayer works on how prayer works. Firstly, the person we're praying to, that matters, doesn't it? Prayer only works because of the one to whom we pray. If I were to pray to Ruth to change the fate of the world, it would be a rather futile prayer, because she's neither God nor is empowered. You know, She can't do anything about it. She can hope. We're praying to God, our Father in heaven, Father is a relational word. It talks about God wanting to express his love to us. And he wants to relate to us. He wants to give us good gifts. We just read that in, in Matthew 7. Um, he wants to give us gifts. Father is a relational word. It's supposed to invite us into the place of prayer. And he's in heaven. He's not just... I'm not praying to a father who sat next to me. I'm praying to a father in heaven... And to a Jew, this wouldn't necessarily mean somewhere far away up there in somewhere mysterious, as perhaps it means to us, because the the, the, the Jews had this idea that, um, that heaven was really the dimension of God, the 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 the, um, the sort of god's domain it wasn't and and god was interested in everything god's interested in the whole world god's not distant and far away god is around us and with you know around the world so to, to a jew praying to god in heaven isn't a distant thing it's saying god you're all around us make stuff right that's the that's the point of praying to father in heaven god is in charge it's his throne his rule his reign his kingdom so we're praying to father in heaven on the throne of the universe is a Father who loves us, that's, that's, that's just amazing, isn't it? That, that, you know, we sing this song, Lion and the Lamb, which expresses this a little bit. You know, God is both a lion, the powerful one, who can make stuff happen, and he's a lamb. He's the one who's made a way for us in Jesus to, to, to come. So we're praying to our Father in heaven. And I want, to, I want to say, too, we shouldn't allow our earthly understanding of fathers to shape our view. Rather, this Father, we understand through Jesus. Jesus says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So when we, when we read the Gospels, and read all four of those Gospels, we read about Jesus and the way he handled himself and handled other people and his compassion and mercy and time for people. That's God's fatherhood. We're seeing something of God's fatherhood through Jesus. This Father, God the Father, is just as good, just as gentle, just as kind, just as approachable, just as welcoming as Jesus. So we understand this father through Jesus. Secondly, we understand this father through his selfless action. This father so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. So we, see, we understand this father through his actions. And we understand this father through his provision. We've just looked at the good gifts that God wants to give. God wants to give us good gifts and knows even before we ask what we need. That's how good this father is. So let's pray to this father in heaven, not some other father we think about, but let's pray to this father, the father that's revealed through Jesus in the scripture as we come and pray, this father in heaven on the throne of the universe. So who we're praying to is right at the beginning of the prayer because it matters who we're praying to. We're not just reciting some words. We're praying relationally to father. Secondly, so that's the, the person of the Lord's Prayer. The second, the second thing I want to comment on is the flow of the Lord's Prayer. We commented on this a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, when we were talking about praying together. We commented on the fact that most Bible prayers start with God, his character, some kind of big picture of God's purposes before they come to me and my needs. And this is just, just the same. There's a flow. If you look at, the, it goes, your name, your kingdom, your will. That's all about God and his purposes. And then, in the second part, it comes to our daily bread, our debt, our forgive us. It's, there's a shift from God to us. We start with God, uh, so we do well to start prayer by re-posturing ourselves as with God as King. Our prayers are somehow more effective. It's, well, it's not. It's just a lot more fun to pray when you when you know that your prayers are being answered because God is powerful and God can do it. If we come to God without shopping list of current needs somehow that's okay and god god listens you know god's gracious he listens but somehow prayer is just much more um transformative when we come to god first we commented a couple of weeks ago again we we quoted a guy called ron McLean, who's a leader in our wider network of churches he's he's talking about worship he says worship postures, postures us to receive revelation by putting ourselves in god's presence Getting things into God's perspective, posture and perspective. I think those things matter as we come to pray. It changes how we pray. We pray differently because we've postured ourselves again. We've re ourselves with God as King. We, you know, God, you're King. You're the ruler of the universe. It puts us in the right place, not in a grovelling kind of subservient way, because God's a father too. You know, it's more, perhaps it's more like sitting on his knee than bowing before the throne. I don't know, some kind of blend of those two. But somehow there's a reposturing ourselves that our Father in Heaven does. And the flow of the prayer matters. It moves from God's will to our needs. And we're going to pray this in a moment and uh, go through that flow. So the flow matters. moment for the grammar geeks now. Um... Some of discussion with my resident grammar geek this morning at home. Um, Rachel, not Ruth here. Yeah. Um, the verbs in the prayer are in what the grammar geeks call... I'm not a grammar geek, but I'm a scientist, so I don't, what am I to know about grammar? Um, they're in what people call the imperative mood, I'm told. Um, which is like, it's a very forcible tone. It's, do it, God! It's not... The kind of British, oh God, if it would really please you and it was in your will, would you mind doing this little thing for it? It's not that kind of pathetic British prayer that we pray. It's God, do it! Your kingdom come! There's a boldness in prayer that God wants us to break and this is, probably this is my second main takeaway. If you take away nothing else from this, take away the thing being a prayer of being the heart of the sermon and this thing. God wants us to pray boldly, church, and to break through our Britishness. Not because it's somehow a cultural thing but because it's in the prayer um he wants us to pray imperatively if i can say that um <laughs> i was talking a bit like about raised this morning comparing um you know in some of you speak french you know that in french there's two forms of you and there's one to and vu and there's one of those that you don't say to a superior which is tu you don't say two to your boss it's rude you know, you, you say vu. It's a different form of word. There's a, there's a, you don't use that form. with So the ancient world, they would not use the imperative with God. It would be just as rude as saying to to your boss. I'm just trying to find a modern parallel. Using the imperative of God is really quite cheeky, but that's, that's in the prayer. Again, it's this, it's this radical manifesto of Jesus. Jesus says, come to Father God. He is the King of kings, but use the imperative. Be bold. Speak confidently as you pray. You're talking to the superior of superiors, and you use the imperative. It's it's quite it's bold. So let's be bold, church. Whether you understand the grammar or not, I don't really care. But let's be bold as we pray. Let's be bold. Let's let's come confidently to God in our prayer. And then the other thing you notice is that the centre of the prayer is this phrase: "On heaven, on earth as it is in heaven." Get that wrong again. Aren't I? On earth as it is in heaven, right at the centre of the prayer, and. When we looked, remember that thing we looked at about the structure of Matthew. Right at the centre of the of the Lord's Prayer is this thing: "On earth, as it is in heaven." And it's almost as if we're supposed to pray it like this. And this is from Mr. Dowell Johnson's book here. So it, it's almost like we're supposed to pray it like this: "Your name be hallowed, on earth as it is in heaven." God, what's in heaven? We want to pray it into earth. Your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven? God's kingdom is is a fully. Worked out thing in heaven, and God's rule is, that, and you know, give us our daily bread on earth as it is in heaven. We're calling heaven down to earth in the prayer. We're not just um, somehow coming with our little shopping list. We're we're calling heaven to earth uh, through this thing. It, it's a it's a clause that goes with each of those statements. Um, so as we pray the Lord's prayer, let's not just recite it without thought. Um, one of the other bits, we're not going to get to it now, but one of the bits in Matthew 6 we read, Jesus said, don't babble like the pagans. Don't just repeat things mindlessly that you don't really understand. Let's not babble the Lord's Prayer Church as we pray. It. Let's pray it confidently and boldly. Let's, we're praying to this Father, the Father who's on heaven. Let's recenter ourselves on his priorities. Let's ask boldly that his will be done and that his kingdom would come to earth. I think there's Sarah's word earlier about Jericho and be the last, the, you know, the seventh shout. There's something in that about boldness, isn't there? Um, I think that's what God's after in us this morning a breakthrough in boldness um, that He wants. And we're going to pray. Um, there's more things I could have said, but we're going to pray together. So perhaps we can stand, um, and Simon's going to come and get involved with this as well, I think. And um, Jenna, if we could get the band back, that would be good, wherever you are. What I want us to do is just to pray together with boldness and confidence. And we're all going to pray together, so even if you're a bit shy and don't really want to, you know, just all do it together, then no one notices what you're praying anyway. And we're going to go through each clause. We're going to start off with Father in Heaven, and we're going to thank God that He's a Father, and that He's in Heaven, and He's our Father, and He's a good Father, and all those sort of prayers. So, i'm i'm just going to start praying and i want you to pray along with me and and join in as you sing and then at a certain point we're going to we'll come to a pause and we'll move on to the next segment so our father in heaven okay let's go father in heaven thank you father thank you for your great father thank you that you're in heaven thank you that you are powerful you are able we're coming to you father as a friend there's a father who Wants us to come and sit on your lap as it were, Lord. We pr- thank you for your for access through Jesus. We thank you for all that you've done, Jesus. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, deepen my relationship with you, Father. Let me come to you as a father. Let me understand your fatherhood more richly in my life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let my understanding of you grow, Father. Father, God. Does someone want to come and pray just that sentiment as we prayed? God as Father, we've got a mic. Let's just, after each segment, let's maybe one person come forward and lead us in prayer who's coming in sanjay thank you father yeah father thank you that you are our father lord that we can approach you uh, in confidence and even in audacity lord god we can we can speak yes. uh, imperative words to you yes. and lord you love it when we ask you lord thank you that you're our father and thank you that you're in heaven god you're seated far above all that we see on earth lord the heavens are uh, this expanse, Lord, your, your dominion and the earth is, is just such a small speck uh, by comparison with you, Lord. We thank you that you're, yes. that you're far above, Lord, that yes. you're enthroned thank and you, seated Father. in power. Thank and, Lord, you, that Father. we can come to you as Father. All yes, right. thank you, Father. Yes. We're going to move on to your name be hallowed. I was talking to Ruth this morning. This is one of those curious English words that we don't quite know what it means, doesn't it? So we probably, Ruth said, oh, I tend to skip that bit over and get to the next bit. Cause <laughs> <laughs> which is true. To be hallowed to be means to be made holy, to be made holy. And God's name is made holy by people when we, when we understand who he is and we put good on, God on the throne. So in praying, Lord, your name be hallowed, we're, we're really praying, God, make yourself known. Make yourself known in the world so that people would revere you, that people would make you holy, that people would choose to honor you. So let, can we pray now? That God would make himself known. Let's pray for our college, our workplace, our community, our city, our nation, whatever you want to pray for, people around you. Let's pray that God would make himself known and that his name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, thank you. Thank you, Father. We pray you'd make yourself known, God. Make yourself known. Lord, I pray for friends around me in Botley. Lord, you'd make yourself known. for Amongst the students, Lord, you'd make yourself known. We pray in this city, God, would you make yourself known? Would you make yourself known as Lord and Saviour and Rescuer and Transformer? Make yourself known, Lord, that your name would be honoured and hallowed. Make yourself known, Jesus. Who's going to come and pray? Make yourself known, God. Someone come and pray someone come and pray thank you jesus jesus you deserve to have all the glory so that everybody's final appeal is the name of jesus so that everybody's uh, idea of what it is to be better to be more glorious is to be a bit more like jesus christ you deserve for the name of jesus christ to be the one that silences all other arguments because if god says it it happens You deserve to have every knee bowing, and we know that one day that will be true, but we pray that even now you would be more known, that more knees would bow, more hearts would honor and accept you, Jesus. Yes. Amen. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God simply means living under the rule of God, living as God wants seeing him as king. Let's pray that his kingdom would come. It comes first and foremost as men and women bow the knee to Jesus and his kingdom is in their lives. But it's, it's more than that. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come in families and workplaces and people around us. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come in our own lives that we would afresh bow the knee and let God be king of every part of our lives. Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, Father, let your kingdom come on Earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want my life to be a kingdom life, a life living under the lordship of Jesus, living under the rule of Jesus. Lord, let me hear you. Let me bow the knee. Lord, would you keep working on areas where your kingdom is not as it should be in my life? Would you come, Jesus, and let your kingdom come in my life in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, Jesus. Father, we look at the world
1: and uh, at our own lives and we know that it's not as it should be. And we pray for your kingdom to come. Yes. We pray for your kingdom to come in politics, in yes. the environment, in our own choices, in our families, in our homes, in the work we do. More of you, your kingdom come.
0: Yes. 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 Let's just move on from there. Let's pray that his will would be done. His, God has a will. God has a way that he wants mankind to live. And in many, many places around the world, man is not living as God would have. As God is designed. Let's pray. As God leads us, let's pray for nations and communities that God's will would be done in those places. Lord, we pray your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we think of our own nation and the political situation. Would you come, Jesus? Let your will be done. I think of the nation in Zimbabwe, Lord, and Lord, would your, nation, would your will be done in that nation? Father, we pray for nations. We pray for places in North and West Africa where... Your name is not even known. We pray, God, let your will be done. Would your will be done? Would your will be done? Friends working in their situations, let your will be done, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, we shout out to
1: you, God. Let your will come uh, in our country, in uh, the nations around the world, God. Let your will be um, what stands above all other will. God, let it. Uh, yeah, let it come.
0: Yes, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no lack. We have everything we need, but on earth, we sometimes lack. God wants to give us our daily bread, not just for our own sake, but so that we can be overflowing people in our community, generous people, a community that's open to the poor and gives to the poor, and a, and, and a, and a community that that is you know, we talked, we talked earlier, as we were doing the offering, we talked about giving to tea. There's something God wants us to do that's more than we can do on our own. God wants us to be a people, a community that are known for our generosity. Let's pray those sort of things. Let's pray God's blessing on us as individuals, but that we can be a generous people. Lord, we pray. Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, we pray. Give us our daily bread. Give us, our, give us that bread, Lord. We pray for financial provision. We pray for... Um, i would pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that you give financial provision where people are out of work. You give jobs where people are struggling financially. You make provision because you want us to be a generous people. We pray, God, for an overflowing generosity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you, your word says if we pray for daily bread, you will give it. You're a good father who knows what we need. You're a good father, and we pray, God. You give us our needs in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that even though you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, um, you are interested in our lives. You love us as individuals, and you want us just to bring our daily requests, and you're interested in what happens this day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We want to be a community known for forgiveness and grace. And there's something about being a forgiving people that's infectious and it will transform our workplaces because we're a forgiving, gracious people. And um, it starts with us, church, as we forgive and allow ourselves to be forgiven. Um, So let's pray. Let's ask God to forgive our debts. Father, thank you. Lord, forgive our debts, Lord. We know that's... It's not, a, it's not a gentle thing. Lord, you, you, you do it, Lord. You, we say, God, imperatively, come and forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Clean us, Lord, that we could be a forgiven people. A forgiven people, a reconciled people. A people that take that ministry of reconciliation out into our communities in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive Lord, us our debts, Lord. Thank you that, that you butter. do forgive us our sins. And, Lord, help us as a society to understand that we all sin, that we need forgiveness, Lord. And this shock and horror at the Oxfam revelations or whatever and the shock and horror at the other things that go on in
1: society Lord give us an understanding as a society wider than just this
0: church help us to help people understand Lord that this is our condition that we, we are fallen and we need you Lord and that we all sin and that we're all imperfect Lord and the hypocrisy of the newspapers and the media and the rest of it and saying how terrible this all is when we all know, Lord,
1: that deep in us, Lord, we need your forgiveness, and we know we can rely on it. Thank you, Lord, that we live, in, we live with you, Lord, that we can actually rely yeah. on you
0: and put your yeah. hand in yours. Thank you, Father. Thank yeah. you. Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil on earth as it is in heaven. There's no evil in heaven, and God wants us to be a people that call heaven down to earth. Yes. Let's pray. Just pray that God will deliver us and free us from temptation. Yes. Um, deliver us from evil. Let's pray his protection on all that we're doing. Um, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we yes. come, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Deliver us, Lord. Deliver us. Deliver us. Set us free, Lord. Protect us. Protect us, Lord. Deal with the enemy, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Set us free, Lord. Set your people free. Deliver us from temptation. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Father God, we live with an enemy who prowls round and seeks to devour us and seeks to bring evil to our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our bodies and that of those around us. But Father God, above this we have the name above all names. We have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That will deliver us from all evil. And we say, as it is in heaven, so be it on earth. That you will set our minds free from evil. You'll set our hearts and our spirits and our bodies free from evil. That we, in turn, can take into the world the message of hope and of victory and of power and of might. And that we can see this city, the places we work, the families we live in, this nation... And this world delivered from the evil one. Yes. Because we yes. know the end of the story. Yes. And That's the right. end of the story is that you, Father God, rule and reign and all evil will be vanquished and put under the foot of Jesus. And yes. will you bring heaven to